Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 19. But now this is what Adonai says, He who created you, Yaakov, He who formed you, Israel, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I am calling you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through water, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you will not be scorched. The flame will not burn you, for I am Adonai, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Shavah for you, because I regard you as valued and honored, and because I love you. For you I will give people, nations in exchange for your life. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east, and I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who bears my name, whom I created for my glory, I formed him, yes, I made him. Bring forth the people who are blind but have eyes, also the deaf who have ears. All the nations are gathered together, and the people are assembled. Whom among them can proclaim this and reveal what happened in the past? Let them bring their witness to justify themselves, so that others on hearing can say, that's true. You are my witnesses, says Adonai, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you can know and trust me and understand that I am he. No God was produced before me, nor will any be after me. I, yes, I am Adonai. Beside me there is no deliverer. I have declared and saved and proclaimed not some alien God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says Adonai. I am God. Since days begin, I have been he. No one can deliver from my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? Here is what Adonai, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, says. For your sake, I have sent an army to Babel and knocked down fleeing Babylon, all of them. Their songs of triumph are now lamentations. I am Adonai, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Here is what Adonai says, who made a way in the sea, a path through the raging waves, who led out chariot and horse, the army and its strength. They lay down, never to rise again, snuffed out and quenched like a wick. Stop dwelling on past events and brooding over times gone by. I am doing something new. It's springing up. Can't you see it? I am making a road in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. Thank you, Diane, for that very dramatic reading. This is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture, and I realize that uh, we probably could devote several weeks to this one chapter. There's just uh, so much in it. So I want to 
pause and um, ask the Lord to speak to us as we're looking into this passage. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to communicate to us in our language. Thank you, Lord God, that you know each one of us and where we are. We pray, Lord God, that you would cause us to hear what you have to say to us individually and corporately as a mishpacha, as a congregational family. Thank you, Lord God, that you are consistently at work. We pray, Lord God, for eyes to see that. The name of Yeshua. Amen. Wanted to do a little bit of a recap. Um, some of you may be new to us. And even for folks who have been here for a while, it's always good to do a, um, to rewind the tapes, as it were. And uh, if you recall, we began a building campaign uh, last August. And uh, it was a stretch. It was a stretch for me because I had never been through one, one of those. I had no idea what it was supposed to look like. And for a number of us, it was a stretch in a negative sense because we had been through some of those and the experiences have left a bitter taste in our mouth because what we experienced was the quote-unquote fleecing of the sheep. And so for us, uh, we were determined that whatever takes place would, takes pl would take place um, as we feel God leading us and and opening doors for us to walk through. That this is not going to be about our strategy and our plans and our purposes, but it was to be about God's. And we really strongly felt that this was God's timing, still do. Um, we're convinced that as has been the case for 26 years, our commitment is to listen to him and to do what he tells us to do. I know that sounds real basic, but you know, sometimes we get uh, preoccupied with all kinds of things and we forget the basics. So the question that has been in mind for us is simply this. Are we growing in our faith relationship to the Lord? And are we growing to a greater degree in unity in this process? So from where I stand, the answer to both of those is a resounding yes. We have seen the hand of God through the process. There's been a great deal of enthusiasm and support for this. And so we are excited in a sense that we know that God has been behind us, God is in it, and that the Lord will show us step by step which way to go. And because he is on the move, uh, we're called to follow. And sometimes it feels like we're not only called, but we are dragged along, if you know what I'm saying. The Lord sometimes is uh, very persuasive. So the scripture that has come to mind from time to time is the, one of the last verses that Diane read. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. 
Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in a wasteland. So in order to understand more fully this verse and what Scripture is saying here, I wanted to take some time um, to look at this passage more carefully and see what's going on. First of all, uh, in the verses before that, in chapter 42, the Lord holds a mirror to Israel and says, in, in, this, in, in effect, you guys have been clueless. You have pursued other gods and goddesses, and I've had to judge you. Um, however, I'm not done with you. Don't you love it? That despite our foolishness and poor choices that we make and mistakes and so on, um, God can be fully justified in looking at us and saying, I'm done with you, and yet he says no. And this is the wonderful, encouraging statement at the beginning of this, in this chapter. But now, but now, in other words, I could have taken a different route and I could have chosen to take you as a nation, as a people group, and pitch you, but I'm committed to you. But now, Israel, why? Because I'm your creator, I'm your, the one who fashioned you, I'm the one who redeemed you, and furthermore, I'm the one who called you by name. Now, think about the implications, if you look at somebody and you say, hi, how's it going, uh, Jimbo? And Aaron looks at me and says, what's the matter with you? Don't you know my name is Aaron? Uh, it's a very personal thing, and that simply means that God knows us intimately and personally because he's the one who gave us our name. And remember, scripturally, names are not just names. They're not just tags. But they're uh, labels, and, and often they're prophetic statements of a person's destiny. And this is what the Lord is um, saying to Israel. I'm your creator, the one who formed you. I'm the one who redeemed you. And because of that, you have grounds for confidence as you go through life, as you go through difficulties. When you pass through the water and the flames, the implication is not this is unlikely to happen. You know, I've, uh, you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth and everything is going to be fine. Other people will suffer. You'll be in, in great shape. No. The implication here is when, meaning likely, at some point, sooner or later, you're going to go through the fire. You're going to go through the water. And for us who are followers of Messiah, who are in relationship with God, sometimes we have the silly notion that trials and difficulties are something bizarre. It's like, okay, rewind the tapes, let's start over again, and maybe whatever difficulties we're going through will disappear. Well, doesn't happen that way. God often chooses to allow us to remain in those difficulties. And he says, when you go through the process of the fire and water, I'll be with you. And this is, of course, a statement that God 
is making to the nation of Israel corporately. And we have seen that borne out over the last 2,000 years that despite everything that Israel has gone through, God has been faithful to see to it that the nation has been kept and preserved despite all the desires of enemies contrary. But obviously it, it can be extrapolated and applied to us who are committed to following God and de determined to listening to him and obeying him. We can take this statement and say, you know, that applies to me. And I remember uh, 12 years ago, I, I was diagnosed with melanoma. And you may know that melanoma is the deadliest form of skin cancer. And I remember my uh, dermatologist called me, and um, he, he was, he was uh, in distress. He was very disturbed to have to tell me uh, the news. And then I shared it with a congregation, and then one gal in particular looked at me as if to say, well, uh, what's going to happen to you? In other words... Um, it's been, it's been nice knowing you. And uh, I, I wasn't convinced that uh, this was um, my time to be beamed up. And uh, furthermore, as I was reading Scripture and praying, this Scripture came to mind. When you go through the water, they will not sweep over you. And when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. Not just because of some generic... Uh, statement of things will turn out but because of the fact that I am with you as it turned out in, in my case um, that really was a statement from God um, praise God I've, I've been free of cancer since then and I realized life is complicated but at least for me, that was a very clear statement that this was what God was saying. But part of the process, folks, is for each one of us to have a sense of confidence that because of our relationship with God, because of the fact that we have been shaped and fashioned and redeemed and because he loves us and he knows us by name, that regardless of what happens, he is with us. And we have the confidence of knowing that. And because of that, we are able to press forward. And this is something I've, I've come to, uh, to terms with and I've come to embrace over the last several years that God doesn't want us just to get through life. He wants us to press forward because he has plans and purposes and a destiny. And often we are totally oblivious to that because we are consumed with ourselves, our thoughts, our strategies, or difficulties we're going through. And we're not able to look beyond that. And notice that in this chapter, on a number of occasions, at least two very explicit times, the Lord says to the nation of Israel, I'm your, your, I'm your creator, I'm your redeemer, but there's a purpose beyond you. 
And that is that you're to be my witnesses. And that is God's uh, choice for the nation of Israel. Wasn't just to choose the people of Israel because the nation was cute and clever, but because God selected Israel to be his witnesses. Now, let's pause and talk about that for a minute because we, in believing uh, circles, we often use the term witness without really stopping to think about it. Well, first of all, the, uh, the basic definition of a witness is someone who stands in court and presents evidence. Not evidence that they were thinking about, but evidence based on what they have seen, what they have observed. In the case of the first believers in Acts chapter 1, they were called to be witnesses to the resurrection, to the fact that Yeshua died and rose again. And they were to, to go and proclaim that. By the way, we are also uh, to do likewise, although I imagine most of the time when we think about what we say to people spiritually, we don't often talk about Yeshua's death and resurrection. But to be a witness means that we have seen and experienced something, and because of that, we are mouthpieces to what we have seen God do in our life. And so when we go through difficulties... And yes, we are consumed with a basic sense that says, God, get me through this. At some point, what the Lord wants to do is open our eyes and give us a much broader perspective and enable us to recognize that there's much more that he has in mind other than just us getting through something. In other words, our life are designed to be a platform upon which people will be able to see the glory and the power of God. That they will look at us and say, wow, it's not that these people are so spectacular, but apparently something's taking place in their life that is unusual, and I want to know more about it. That, folks, is what it means to be witnesses. It's the fact that we have experienced the power of God the move of God, the reality of God, the love of God, and he has poured it into us and it overflows and impacts other people. You know, we often think about witnessing as something akin to a marketing ploy. You know, you, you, you boil down your faith into three or four catchy phrases And then you go and you try to sell it to somebody. Well, that's an interesting prospect. However, if somebody buys it, what they're buying is not the good news of Messiah. What they're buying is your shtick. Being witnesses simply means that you say, you know, I I have come to know God in a way that is that is awesome, that is spectacular. It's not about me. Part of the the process here is that the Lord is saying, because you know what has been going on, because you've been experiencing uh, redemption, because you've been experiencing the love of God, then you come to know God and His nature through His actions. 
um, if you were to, someone were to ask you, what is God like? Um, you, you can give nice theoretical answers. God is truth. God is love and so on and so forth, which doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Frankly, doesn't mean a whole lot to the person listening to you. But if, on the other hand, you say, I know who God is because of what he's done in my life. And because of what he's done in my life, then I'm able to connect the dots and see who God really is. And that's what, what the prophet is saying. Um, in verse 10, for instance, my servant whom I've chosen so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there, was, there will be no other God after me. Verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me, there's no Savior. And then verse 13, yes, from ancient days, I am He. What does that mean? It means simply that, in the scheme of things, when you're in, in a tight spot, the only one who can pull you out of that tight spot is God. And those times, as much as we hate them, absolutely hate to be in trials. Nobody enjoys going through trials. Do you enjoy going through trials and suffering? I didn't think so. None of us do. However, part of what happens in the process is you get to experience the presence and the reality and the power of God in a way that you never did. It's as if God custom designs those situations in order to get our attention. It's been said that when things are going well, God speaks to us in a whisper. But when things are going poorly, God shouts. Why? Because, as, men as Michael was mentioning earlier, we have a hard time listening. And sometimes God has to talk to us in dreams when we're totally quiet or else he has to speak to us when we go through difficult times and we have run through all our options and we have checked off all the possible strategies ourselves and other strategies from other people. And we get the fact that either God comes through or we're sunk. And that, folks, is when God can really speak to us. Because we have gone through all the idols, the gods and goddesses that we normally use. Yes, we all have those. Gods and goddesses. I'm not pointing finger because, as you know, if I point a bunch of fingers, point back at me. There, all of us have things in our life that are more important to us than God. Things in our life that we value more than God. Things in our life that we invest time and energy much more than God. For each one of us, the idol is different. You know, it, it may be it may be uh, good health, feeling strong and robust. And what happens when you get sick? Or feeling affirmation from people and folks thinking that you're the cat's meow. Well, what happens when you come into a situation where everybody and their mother thinks that you're a fool? 
And I can go on and on and on for each one. Again, each one of us, there are different idols. And at some point, God uses circumstances to get a hold of us and say, okay, there's only one of me. Hello? And where you're putting your emphasis and your attention really didn't get you anything, didn't pan out, did it? I am he. I am he. The Lord says that over and over and over again. And at some point, initially, grudgingly, we say, yeah, God, you're right. You're the only one. Then at some point, God begins to work on our hearts and change our thinking. And what begins to happen is we say, yes, God, you're the only one. I get it. I'm no longer quite as stupid as I was before. I am he. You get that? You're eager to acknowledge it for yourself, and you're also eager to, to be the people's exhibit A for who God is and what God is able to do. And part of the picture is that as is the case here and lots of other places in Scripture, God rewinds the tapes and goes back with us to previous situations, mile markers, as, as it were, and says, remember what happened back there? You were absolutely up against the wall, and you cried out, and I came through, and I delivered you. And, of course, here he's speaking about making a way in um, in the sea and delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt. It's a mile marker, a very major mile marker. And that's why over and over and over again, uh, the Word of God comes back to the example of Egypt. And so for each one of us, part of the picture as we go through the, the uh, determining what's going on in our life, what God is doing in our life, where we want to come to is a place in the past where we have seen God act. That brings about a strengthening of our confidence and it builds our faith to trust God for what's going on now and what's going on and what will be taking place in the future. So, yes, we can be obsessed with the past or we can use the past positively and as a means of reminding ourselves of, of how God has brought us through different circumstances. And, and uh, you live long enough and you collect a few of those uh, examples. But part of the picture, folks, is that God's destiny for us is an ongoing thing. And for each one of us, the destiny is somewhat different. And here at Yeshua Tzion, because we're so incredibly diverse, we have people from every kind of background and experience. God's destiny will look somewhat different for each one of us. However, it will look the same in that we're all pursuing a greater growth and maturation in knowing who God is becoming strong men and women of God, hearing what he has to say to us and accomplishing what he has in mind for us. And part of the process is to remember 
that God is working. God is working. Even when it doesn't seem like he's doing anything, God is working. And for us who are convinced that nothing is happening, we need to remember that he is at work and that he is making a way where there seems to be no way. God specializes in that. See, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. Open your eyes. Now it springs up. We sometimes are oblivious because we expect something different. And the Lord says, look over here. I'm doing something. Hello. Wake up and smell the coffee right here. And sometimes we simply get beaten down by circumstances and we just want to grind through life. Just God get me through this. And we need to remember that in some, in some basic way, our life is a race. Paul puts it this way, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press forward to take hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. This is Philippians 3. 12 to 14, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward towards what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Do you realize that God has a call for you? And it's more than eating, drinking, sleeping, going to work, paying bills. God has a call for you, a distinct call for you. He has gifted you in a way that is uniquely different from each and every individual who is here. And I know often when I say that, I feel like folks are looking at me as if to say, huh? Yeah, God has a call, and Rabbi David, Michael, or, or uh, somebody over here, Linda, yeah, that's it. Um, But God has a call for each one of us. And as we come to terms with it individually, then we're able to bind together and do the work of the kingdom as a mishpacha, as a congregational family. Again, it requires that we remember what God has done in the past, how God has been faithful, how God has pulled us out of all kinds of difficulties and then we learn to know that God is at work. Now the question for you I wanted to pose is simply this. How do you know that God is doing a new thing? Yeah, I mean it says that here in Isaiah 43. But how do you know that today in December 31st, 2016, that God is doing a new thing. Well, I'm glad you asked. Begins, first of all, with a simple commitment on our part. Absolute surrender to God's will. 
In other words, if we really want to know what, what it is that God wants to do, what God is doing, we come to him with a, a complete, um, complete surrender and say, God, my life is about you. My strategy is about your strategy. And when you come with that in mind, you then learn in patient faith. I know that's a dirty, dirty phrase. To wait. Then you learn to wait and see what it is that God is doing. In confidence that God is in fact doing stuff. And if it doesn't look like you have any kind of an understanding, you say, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes. I'm clueless. Give me basic understanding of what it is that you're doing so that I can come along behind you and participate in the work of the kingdom that you want me to do. Amen. And sometimes this basic discernment, the basic sense that you get is counterintuitive. In other words, it's illogical. You think, well, here's the, the logic. You know how it is when you are supposed to make a decision and you sit down with, well, in the 20th century, it was a yellow pad. Uh, and, and you would put all the positive things on one side, all the negative things, if they're more positive things, and you go with the positive stuff. Well, what happens if God wants you to do something different, something counterintuitive? And you can argue with God and say, forget it. All the positives are here, and you're telling me to go this way? Uh-uh, not interested. Well, sometimes God wants you to do something that doesn't fit your logic. And I remember a while ago, before Yeshua Tzion was birthed, I had applied, I just graduated from, from seminary, I had applied for work with a, a ministry on the East Coast. I had a position. It was all set. Then over a period of time, um, I was nudged. I won't mention by whom. And I started to pray. The more I prayed, the more I felt like God was saying, no, this is a very secure, logical step for you over here, but I want you to be over here. I want you to be part of what I have in mind to birth a new thing. And that's how Yeshua Tzion's birth. It was counterintuitive, folks. We knew it was going to be a challenge, and yes, it was. But I had a basic sense from God that this was what he had in mind and that I needed to follow. And I would be lying to you if I, was, if I were to say that I jumped into it with overwhelming enthusiasm, but gradually I came to agree with what I believe God was saying. And over a period of time, the sense that this is what God had in mind was validated. Proof is in the pudding. 26 years later, we're here. And we believe that God is doing a new thing with us. Now, staying at Greenwood Community Church is logical. No one is chasing us out. Um, the amount, uh, the, our hosts have been very gracious. 
um, the amount that we're paying each each month, each year is pittance. And here we're talking about taking a step of faith. Now let me tell you something, folks. You talk about something being scary. This is scary for me. Because when, when we began Yeshua Tzion, I was ordained by a church that sent us out. And within a year, that church went belly up because of financial reasons. So I understand the fact that taking steps of faith is risky. It's risky for all of us. Otherwise, it would not be, it would not be faith. So yes, acquiring a building is a stretch financially and, and spiritually and emotionally. But we are confident that this is about God. It's not about a physical building, folks. We've said that over and over and over and over again because our commitment, first of all, is to be part of what God is doing with a spiritual building. And he has been doing that all along. He's doing that currently. He will continue to do that whenever it is that we move into a physical building that says Yeshua Tzion on it. So we're not exalting a building. We're exalting the Lord. And our confidence is that as we have continued to grow, that God will see to it that we grow and flourish even more. Not because it needs to be about us, but because God has given us a calling and a destiny and a mission, and we are committed. Our noses are pointing that direction. And we're saying, Lord, yes, there are risk. It, it, it has an element of risk, but because the Lord is engaged with it, we have confidence that his will be done. Why? Because he is doing a new thing and we want to participate. As Rabbi David mentioned last Shabbat, we want to encourage you to simply say, Lord, what is my part in all of this? And yes, financially, of course, is part of the picture, but, but there's more, there's so much more. Because we believe that when God brings us to a physical building, that the work of the kingdom will, will be able to expand a whole lot more in ways that it currently is not and cannot. Simply say, Lord, what is my part in all of this? Do you know that you have a destiny? Do you know what your destiny, destiny is here in your spiritual family, Yeshua Tzion? Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled. As we come before you, we recognize, Lord God, that our knowledge is limited. But we thank you, Lord God, that you have been, you have brought us to the knowledge of you, and we desire to grow in grace and knowledge of you even more. We pray, Lord God, for this time of transition for eyes of faith for each one of us, Lord God, to see what it is that you're doing and to embrace what it is that you're doing with both hands and both feet. 
Lord God, we ask for holy chutzpah. Lord, the courage to pursue what you have prepared for us and what you have prepared us for. We pray, Lord God, that in and through all of this, that you would receive much honor and glory, that people would see you in us, that we will be effective witnesses for your power, your faithfulness, your love towards us, towards others. We ask all this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.